All right, good morning. It's good to be here with you. And we are studying the second part of uh, four teachings we're doing on uh, the cross. And then we also have uh, the book of Leviticus that Pastor Rick is walking us through. And you need to watch those if you haven't seen some of them. It's, uh, it's good stuff. You, you can't miss that. And then we've got uh, Pastor Frank Appel, who's been doing teachings on the return of Christ. Our friend Andy Hines will be teaching on the resurrection. And tomorrow morning, Gene Thomas teaches on the ascension again. So we're covering these things, these essential doctrines of the Christian faith and, and what they mean. So this morning is part two of the cross. And here we're going to really discuss the concept that at the cross... On the cross, when Jesus died on the cross, He deals with our sins. He deals with our sins. And this is essential to understand because as we, as we look at as we've been reading in the book of Leviticus, right, as Pastor Rick is walking us through that, you know, you get the idea that, that, that sin is not something you just, uh, you just forget about it or, 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 or you could just say it doesn't matter. You know, our sins are something that you actually have to deal with it in some way in order to have relationship with God, in order, or, in able, to enable you to come into the presence of God. Our sins have to be dealt with. So, at the cross, our sins are dealt with for eternity, completely. And it's by faith that we receive that forgiveness. So let's go to Colossians 2, verses 13 and 14. If you've got your Bible there, I want you to turn. And this is going to be the base verse. And I have four elements to the teaching this morning. Okay, don't be overwhelmed by that. Four elements. And so it's supposed to be a 30-minute teaching. So if I do seven and a half minutes on each one, then we're done. Okay? So you can track along with me. But the first verse I want to read is Colossians 2, verses 13 to 14. And you, being dead in your sins, okay, right? We're talking about how at the cross our sins are forgiven. So you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, has he quickened together with him, meaning Christ, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. So there's something about the cross that enables our sins to be completely removed, taken out of the way, forgiven, removed. That's a powerful thing. And then also Ephesians 1.7, In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of God's grace. So, we're talking about dealing with our sins. And all of us have sins. And, uh, but there's four elements that I want to look at in regards to approaching the topic of sin. Okay? The first one is understanding what sin actually is. Okay? When you talk about sin, I mean... It's just it doesn't mean anything if you just throw the word around there, and you don't and you're not really defining what we're talking about. 
So we have to come to an understanding of what sin actually is. What is actually being forgiven on the cross? Okay? Okay. Second, in order to deal with sin, you have to have someone with wisdom and knowledge necessary to know how to remove the sin. Let me say that again. If sin in my life and in your life is going to be dealt with, then it's going to have to be dealt with by someone who has the knowledge and wisdom to actually deal with it. And just a little foreshadow to the rest of the teaching, that's not us. That's not you. That's not me. To say that we somehow have the wisdom to deal with our own sins is very prideful. First of all, we don't really even know what we're trying to do. And then to say that we know how to do it, you know. So then third one is you actually have to have the ability, you have to have the authority, the power to deal with it. You've got to implement the plan to deal with sin. You actually have to have the authority and power to deal with sin. And then second, or the fourth one is you have to have the desire and the resolve. And of course, all of these four elements are only found in Jesus at the cross. Nothing else. Alright, so let's think about the first one, sin. What is sin? Really? You know? And then, you know, as I, uh, as I began to look at this topic, I was overwhelmed with the fact that nobody agrees on an actual definition of sin. Okay? But there's a great note, and Pastor Rick covered this, and, so, and, and it's a really good starting place here out of uh, Leviticus. Um, Leviticus 4.2. Okay, this is talking about the sin offering that... When someone sins out of ignorance, there's an offering that's supposed to be given. And the note there in the Expositor's Bible says this about it. Okay, the words in this verse, through ignorance, signifies that a person, irrespective of his knowledge of the Word of God, cannot really know what sin actually is. Okay, let me say that again. A person cannot really know what sin actually is. This is humbling and comforting. It reveals that the efficacy of Christ's atonement for sin is not measured by man's consciousness of sin. Okay? So in other words, what Christ did on the cross has nothing to do with how much we understand what He did or how much we understand how desperately we needed it. I mean, in a way, we're all ignorant about our own sins and about how deep it is. And how desperate we are for a Savior. That's what, that's what he's saying here. So then I went a step further. And I, and I went to a website called BibleStudyTools.com. Okay? And they have this. It's, it's an amazing resource. And they have all of, these, all of these definitions for theological words. And here's what they say about sin. Sin is a riddle. A mystery. A reality that eludes definition. <laughs> and comprehension. Perhaps we most often think of sin as wrongdoing or transgression of God's law. Sin includes a 
failure to do what is right, but sin also offends people. It is violence, lovelessness towards others, and ultimately rebellion against God, etc., etc. And then it says, the concept of sin is complex and the terminology large and varied. In other words, nobody can really agree on a firm definition of what sin actually is. Because, as we read in that note, all of us are a little bit ignorant. We don't have the ability to really understand the depth of sin and what and what has actually done to us and to our world. Only God has a true understanding of sin and its effects. So if you look at Genesis, for instance, chapter 6, this gives an example of sort of the full extent of sin. The Lord saw, this is in Genesis, just before Noah and the flood, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the hearts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. That was the state of the world just before Noah. Sin has completely corrupted the entire human race. And it says in verse 6 that the Lord regretted that He had made human beings on the earth and His heart was deeply troubled. Only God has a true understanding of how deep and hurtful sin really is. I don't. I mean, I, I know my sins to a certain degree, but I'm probably fooling myself when I say that this sin or that sin, you know, that that one's a little smaller, I guess, when for all I know, that's the one that hurts somebody the most or offends God the most. To say that I'm somehow the judge of my own sins is putting myself in the place of God. And saying that I have the right and I have the authority and the wisdom and the understanding to be able to judge my sins or judge your sins or, or whatever. And to a certain degree, we, you know, we do have to come into community and agree on certain principles. And that's what the Word of God and that's what Paul did. But, but honestly, we can't be the judge and put ourselves in the judgment seat and say, I judge, I'm going to judge my own sins. No, we can't. We can't do that. That's, only God can do that. Only He has the wisdom and understanding to do that. So, 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 that's, so that's the first one, is acknowledging that we all desperately need a Savior. And in fact, we need a Savior more than we even realize. Because our sins are so deep that there's no way we could really understand how far away from God we are. So then the, the second one is that you've got to have, if, if sin's going to be dealt with, then there has to be someone who knows how to deal with it. And I don't know. I mean, I don't know how to remove my sins. Do you know how to remove your sins? Other than the cross, I don't know how to remove sin. You know, God gave the law to Moses. 
And the law is good, as Paul says in the book of Romans. The law is very good. But in the end, all law did is reveal how sinful people are. It didn't make you perfect. It didn't make you righteous before God. And so, whether you're going to try to... 613 laws in the Old Testament. There's 613 laws. And there's, there's other lists, you know. No, I, I read more about this, and nobody really agrees on that either. It depends on which, which uh, you know, Jewish rabbi you read, right? But anyway, uh, you know, people, people say 613 laws. And, and if you go to a website, gotquestions.org, and you look for that question, what are the 613 laws? Then they sort of have an article about it that's pretty good, gives you an overview, and then they list every, 613 verses. They list them all right there on the... I didn't read them all. <laughs> 613 laws. Just try to keep them. You know? <laughs> Just try to be perfect by trying to be perfect in your own willpower. Try to be righteous by trying to be righteous. It's not going to work. You're going to mess up in the first ten minutes. You know? Because the second you see a, a law that, uh, that says don't covet, you're going to think about what your neighbor has. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so, so, only God in His wisdom knew that sin could only be dealt with through a sacrifice on the cross. And so Paul has some comments about this in 1 Corinthians. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Okay, so he says, in, starting verse 18, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. See, that's why the cross takes faith. It's because in man's wisdom, the cross doesn't make any sense. How is, how is, how is Jesus dying on the cross going to take away my sins? That is, I, can't, I can't rationally comprehend that. No, sorry, you can't. It's a mystery that only God can understand the full depths of it because only God understands the depths of sin and how desperately we needed it. And so for us, it's the power of God. For those who have faith and simply believe that what God did on the cross is true, then we have salvation. But... For those who are looking at it and trying to, trying to force it into some sort of human wisdom box, it's a foolish thing to say that Christ sacrificing Himself on the cross is foolish breaks my heart. But people do it; they ridicule what Jesus did. They, they think that we're crazy to believe that. Let them think it. I don't care. I'm saved by grace. And if you believe in Jesus as your Savior, that He died on the cross, you're saved too. It is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? And so Christ crucified is the wisdom of God. And God knew that it took the cross to atone for sins. And so your sins and my sins are taken care of on the cross of Calvary. Because God is our substitute, taking upon Himself, as we studied last week in chapter 15, three hours of darkness where 
Over 7 billion people walk the face of the earth right now. 7 billion. So if you multiply that over the past years, I mean, you're talking billions upon billions of people. And all of their sins, all of our sins, of billions and billions of people, come and funnel down the wrath of God poured out on Jesus for my sake and for yours. How in the world did He endure it? I don't know. But I'm grateful. I'll tell you that. And God knew that that's what I needed or else I would never be able to overcome my sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Okay, so the first one is in order for sin to be dealt with, there has to be an understanding of the depth of sin, what it actually is. And we can have a general idea. The Lord gives us the Word, gave us the Law of Moses, gives us the Holy Spirit, gives us Paul in the New Testament to help us understand a little more what does it mean to, be, to deal with sin. But God only knows for completely. Secondly, you have to have somebody who actually knows how to deal with it. You understand what it is, and then you have to understand how to how to deal with the problem. But then you've got to have the power to deal with the problem. Oh, the power and the authority to deal with the problem of sin. No human being was in a position to overcome sin in their own strength. The wages of sin of death all have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us were and are in need of something, someone greater, more powerful, with authority to redeem us. We cannot save ourselves. Romans 5, 6. You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Paul says it right there. We were totally powerless to overcome our own sins. Now, there are some who try to live life sort of working out this system of perfectionism that they've developed in their life, right? And essentially what that is is that's a way of saying, I'm going to perfect myself. I'm going to overcome sin, my imperfections, in my own strength. I'm going to create for myself an understanding of what it means to be a good person. And then I'm going to set myself to achieve that. And I'm going to manipulate and organize my life to make sure I can do that. And really what that does is puts you in the driver's seat and assumes that you somehow have control, and then if you achieve the law that you've created in your own mind, then God will accept you. I want to tell you this morning, that's a dangerous place to be. Because you're depending on your own ability to discern who you're supposed to be in the eyes of God, and then it's in your own power to go and do it. And so then... You're the judge, you're the jury, you're the one, you're the lawgiver. There's only one judge and only one lawgiver, and it's God Himself. 
So we are powerless to overcome our own sin, but God is not. Why? Because, because He's perfect. He's holy. He is above all of our shortcomings and all of our limitations. And so we needed something outside of ourselves to be able to redeem us. But then the last one, so those are the three things, right? But then the last one, you can't forget it. God had to have a desire to do it. God had to have the resolve to do it. Because it wasn't going to be easy. That cross was not easy. God didn't just say, Oh, okay, Jesus, just go down the cross, no problem. Man. It took resolve. It took fortitude. It took strength. I mean, Jesus, when He goes into the garden, sweating blood because of the pressure, He says, Father, if it is possible, take this cup from Me. In other words, I am not looking forward to this. This is going to hurt bad. I'm going to suffer a lot. And if there's any way that we can deal with sin in this world that doesn't involve the cross, now's the time (laughs) to do it. So he says, this is going to be hard. But then he says, yet not as I will, but as you will. In other words, okay, God. Okay, Father. This is how it's got to be. Yeah. They need a Savior. They need a perfect sacrifice to go into the heavenly tabernacle so that they can walk into your presence without fear. And this is the only way that it can happen. So I'm going to do the cross. I'm going to do the cross. And so we find in Hebrews 12, 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before Him, He endured the cross. I mean, it took some strength. It took some perseverance. It took some true... What would be the word? It's like... uh, supernatural strength above and beyond anything that I could come up with or that you could come up with to endure that cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne you see just at the right time when we were still powerless Christ died for the ungodly verily rarely will anyone die for a righteous person Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die, but God demonstrated His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so God had the desire to set out the rescue plan so that we could be saved. John 3.16, what is that? For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him not perish, but have everlasting life, right? The most famous verse in the world. For God so loved the world. And we saw that back in uh, Genesis, we saw back in Genesis that the world had come to a place before Noah where everything was totally and completely corrupt. 
And I had to break God's heart to completely destroy everything with the flood. Really. I really believe it, it, it had to really make God sad to do that. And so he said, man, I'm not doing that again. You know, Jesus probably thought about that in the garden. He probably said, man, I wish we could just do another flood and see if that will work this time. <laughs> Maybe the second time. You know, but God said he'd never do that. You know, that didn't remove sin. In order for, for us to be able to overcome and, and be able to be in the presence of God, sin had to be dealt with once and for all. So, God started the plan of delivering the law through Moses with the sacrifices, the five sacrifices we're studying with Pastor Rick out of Leviticus, to begin to foreshadow and set the stage for the Lamb that would be the sin offering for us on the cross, which would be able to remove sin completely and totally. One more thing I want to read for you out of this expoters. I've been looking at this thing, and there's, there's, some, good, there's some good things in here. I just get this Bible, okay? $50 right now. It's on sale. It's called the, uh, the Expositor's Study Bible. It's King James Version, but don't, don't worry about that. Okay? You get used to it quick. And this is, this is in the back, page 2,437. And there's an article here about the cross, your faith, and the Holy Spirit. Another, under the section titled, The Cross. Okay? So if you have this Bible or you want to get one, I just want you to know where I'm at. It says here that every Christian must understand that every single problem that faces humanity was addressed by Jesus at the cross. Let me read that again. Every Christian must understand that every single problem that faces humanity was addressed by Jesus at the cross. This means that for every problem, the Christian should be directed to the cross. He must understand that the solution is found there and found only there. So, in effect, the meaning of the New Testament is the meaning of the cross. And I could keep going. It's, I mean, it's really good. The whole thing. All the thing. After becoming a Christian, all the days of our lives, we are to continue to look to the cross as the source of all victory. In other words, the cross is not just about salvation and removing the sin, Right? But we walk in victory through the cross every day. Actually, the very meaning of the crucifixion pertains to something that happened in the distant past, but which has continuing results. In fact, results which will never be discontinued. In other words, there's an eternal victory through the cross that you and I get to have. And it's a wonderful thing. So, God alone understands the depths of our sin. God alone knows, knew how sin had to be dealt with. So it could be removed. God alone was in a position of authority and power to actually do it. And God alone had the love and desire for you and me to actually do it. So in closing here, i got two minutes to, to close and do a prayer. I hope you got something out of this. And I hope that helps you to sort of think about what actually the cross was all about. That we can understand it to a degree, in our minds. But see, 
God has to reveal by the Holy Spirit to our spirits that we are saved. It's not that you intellectually understand the cross and what God did and then your spirit comes alive. No. By faith you believe, your spirit comes alive and then your spirit tells your mind what to think. That way your mind is guided by the spirit. Not not you trying to force your spirit to submit to your your brain. God help us. <laughs> so by faith we come and the spirit awakens us. And so I hope you get something out of this that that that's the love of God towards you. God wanted to do that. It wasn't easy. But He was determined. He wasn't going to give up. He wasn't going to leave us without hope. And I'm so grateful. And I know that you are too. Stay tuned as we continue to do some Bible studies here this morning. Watch tomorrow morning, 9 o'clock, as Dr. Gene Thomas comes to teach on the Ascension. And then Friday morning, we have another presentation at 9 a.m. from Dr. Frank Appel on the return of Christ. Thanks for being with us. Let's say a prayer. God, bless my brothers and sisters this morning, that throughout their day, whatever comes, all the problems and things they got to solve, decisions we have to make, Lord, that we would remember that we are saved by grace. And then in your eternal wisdom, you endured the cross so that we could have eternal salvation. Thank you for that this morning, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Have a great day. We'll see you. We'll see you soon. Correndo e olhando para trás